0: Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now, here's our sermon from Dr. Bill Daniel. Amen. Glory to God. Let's see if I can get the other part of the brain working, right? Left brain, right brain, which is it? Doc? (laughs) (laughs) The glory that God deserves deserves our full brain, deserves our full spirit, our body, mind, soul, and strength. We shall love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And praise helps coach us in that direction with our full our full soul and body. So what a privilege. What a privilege. Our text this morning begins the process of focusing our attention and our vision and our gaze in the same direction that Christ is focused in the passion, in the entry into Jerusalem. It's not quite the all hail entry into Jerusalem that we have Usually on Palm Sunday or on Passion Sunday. It is an entry into Jerusalem nonetheless, and we follow Christ's vision to look where Christ looked, to see what Christ looked, and to ask the question for Lent. And as we head into Holy Week and Passion, the Passion of Christ, we ask the question that is on the hearts of millions this spring break Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there with Christ as he goes to the cross? And are we there with Christ in Lent? And will we go the distance with Christ to the cross and to resurrection? Our passage is the 19th chapter of Luke, the 28th verse. And after he'd said all of this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord requires it. So those who were sent departed and found it. It was just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord requires it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these, stone, if these very ones were silent. Then the stones would shout out. And then Jesus weeps. He looks out over Jerusalem and sees the town, the city of God, the slaughterhouse of the prophets. And as he came near, he looked at the city and he wept saying, if you, even you had only recognized on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will crush you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize or see the time of your visitation from God. May the Lord bless us as we read and hear this passion narrative, lifting our hearts to see as Jesus sees his passion and our purpose. Thanks be to God. Well, when I was a little boy, I couldn't wait for the Easter season. It was, you know, the usual things, toys in your Easter basket and chocolate and all those kinds of things. But I really enjoyed seeing the movies about Jesus' life begin to show up on TV. About right now, you start to see. Has anybody seen one yet? Have they quite? Right now, they're kind of on the History Channel, right? That's where they kind of show up first, I think, and they look at uh, the holy city of Jerusalem. They look at Jerusalem through the eyes of history and through the eyes of journalism. I think one of the, the networks is doing a, a, an examination on Jerusalem, trying to see Jerusalem, the, the city that was contested by nations, the city that God raised up with the covenant and through the prophets, and yet the people did not see and recognize time and time again, did not recognize the hour of their visitation from the great prophets, the moment where the message was made clear. Here's another one of those ironic moments where the king of kings, the true Messiah comes, and some see it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a traditional text used surrounding the praise of the Messiah who would come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And yet Jesus says, as he looks out over Jerusalem, not everyone will go with me down the Via Dolorosa, all the way to Golgotha, to the cross. Who will go with me? The crowds are singing out my praises, and soon they will be shouting, crucify him. How quickly the crowd can turn. How quickly a church crowd can turn. (laughs) These are faithful people who knew their Bibles. (laughs) It was a moment of choice. Jesus knew it was a critical choice, the entry into Jerusalem, the last stages, the approach. And he asked his disciples to prepare themselves, to make preparations for the moment of the visitation, for the Messiah to come. And they ask, what should we do? And Jesus says, when you go into the village, you'll find a cult there. And someone's going to say, why are you doing this? The questions of the passion narrative, the questions of Holy Week are pointed questions. They're the questions of the writer Luke. They're the questions of the faith community. They're the questions of disciples. And we've been looking at questions in our Lenten devotional. They are leading the way. Whenever you see a question, particularly in the early passion narrative, which was so critically important to the early church, whenever you hear questions, they lead the way forward for disciples. And Jesus says, you will be asked, why are you doing this? It's a question. He's really asking them why. Will you choose? To serve me? Will you choose to prepare yourself? Will you do what the Lord requires? The answer to the question, why are you doing this? is the Lord requires it. The Lord asks us. The Lord asks disciples to prepare and to walk and to herald the coming of the kingdom and to proclaim the power and the peace that is Jesus Christ. Jesus knows he will need disciples to go with him, and yet not all will go how he longed that Jerusalem would all go with him, that he'd gather up all of Jerusalem as the Messianic vision prophesied and projected, and yet not all will recognize and see the moment where the Messiah visits. The the call of discipleship in Lent is a call to choose. Why are you following Christ? to ask that question again. Why are you following Christ? What preparations are you making? What are we doing as God's faithful people here at College Place? Why are we following the way of Christ in Lent, the way of the cross and sacrifice? And what preparations will we make? Have we made preparations? We're beginning to. The clock is ticking now. Next week, Palm Passion Sunday, you may hear this text again, you may hear other texts that focus again on the loud acclamation and proclamation of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and yet really from this moment on, there will be questions and there will be quiet answers even until the day of the resurrection, and there will be head-scratching moments where disciples again and again do not recognize the moment where God has visited them with the message of redemption and resurrection. Time and time again, the disciples seem to be in the dark and keep asking questions. Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? What happens next? Why is this? Again and again, while Jesus' way leads to weeping, we forget that. There's weeping over Jerusalem. There's weeping over the way of the disciples who will not follow all the way to the cross. And maybe there is weeping for us in these days as well. It is a time of choice. Do we walk in the way of sacrifice? Do we prepare? Are we prepared to go the distance? When I saw those movies as a kid, I knew to get ready. Soon as you see the movies on TV, there weren't 200 channels back in the day. You had, I think it was cable TV in a small town in Alabama that I had. I think there were maybe two stations on the cable TV. So you knew when the movies about Jesus started to come, it was time to get ready. Why are we doing all this? And that would be, why, why, Mom? Why are we doing all this? To follow in the way of Christ, to follow on the path, and to approach our lives in the approach that Jesus did in going to the cross. So we see the preparations, and then we see Jesus approaching. So we've got preparation, and then we've got the approach. The path becomes clear. Jesus is set on the path. It's a go-no-go time. Who will go with him? Because the deeds of power are being proclaimed by the masses, but the real deed of power and peace will come with the shedding of blood on Galgotha. Who will go? Who will go? Who will take that path? Who will take the praise of God joyfully, proclaiming blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and go in the way of the Lord? It's easy to say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest on heaven. But who will go? The churchiest among them didn't really want to go there. They didn't get the preparations. They didn't get the approach. They didn't get the path. Teacher, order your disciples to stop all this shouting about the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. You're just another prophet on your way to the slaughterhouse of prophets. And that's probably what they hoped would happen, that the message would be choked out. And yet Jesus says, even if the disciples don't get it, even if they can't answer all the questions, even if they were ordered to be silent, the very stones and all of creation would shout out, Christ is the power and the peace, the glory of God, heaven on earth, come in the way of suffering sacrifice. So Jesus' way is the way of choice. Who will choose to go with him. Why are you choosing to walk the path of Lent this year? Have you chosen out of simply following, or are you choosing to to accept the challenge to prepare and to approach Christ in a deeper way this year than ever before? Who will go there, and are we there yet? We're getting close, just like when the TV shows begin to show it's time to approach and to look differently at ourselves. Who are we? Who are we becoming? Who will we become if we follow this way of the cross? Are we with Christ and will we walk with him a little longer? The sides are beginning to shape up. Who's with Christ and who's against him? The Pharisees, the disciples, some within each group. The pilgrimage the pilgrimage is to the cross. I think church people and the Pharisees are the churchiest of them. It's so easy for us to mistake the call of Lent, the call of discipleship, the call to walk in the way of Christ as a call to renew ourselves and to make a pilgrimage to church, to go to church, to be more at church, to do more church, to build up the church, to go to the temple. And yet Jesus is not calling his disciples to the temple. In fact, in the very next few verses, Jesus cleanses the temple and uproots that which has muted the sound of prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Jesus' call in Lent and the call of discipleship to walk in the way of Jesus is not simply another renewed call to get you to work a little harder in church, to give a little more money in the plate, to go to a few more committees. Jesus is not concerned with the temple as much as he is with Jerusalem and the word of power and peace that will go out but will be crushed by the churchiest and the most powerful among them in both Rome and in Israel. So the call to church, the pilgrimage. People have been making pilgrimages to, to, to the Holy Land and to the church of the Holy Sepulchre since the 4th century when the shrine, uh, the church there in the old town of Jerusalem uh, was created as not so much historians, but as local history concluded that this church was built on The very place of Golgotha, the skull, the place of the skull, the place of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, and also the tomb in this complex of of hills and limestone rock and old graves from the 4th century, pilgrims have been going there. But it's not a required pilgrimage to this church, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. If you're a Muslim, there's a required pilgrimage. You go to Mecca if you can, If you can possibly go to Mecca, it is the center. It's the place, the Kaaba, where you will find the true revelation among the disciples of Allah. And yet, there's no command in Scripture in the New Testament or in our church teaching to make a pilgrimage to the Church of Holy Sepulchre or to Jerusalem. Many pilgrims do go, and many Christians do go each year. But when they go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Most who go there find they have made a pilgrimage, yes, to a church, but to a construction zone, (laughs) if you will. If you see pictures from about the 1500s onward, the church has been in continual renovation. You talk about a trustee's nightmare. I've got a few of them in here, and I've got the Wednesday work crew in here. You think our dear church building with its creaky walls and its uh, insulation and its lighting and some of its funky, dirty electrical power and so on. You think that's a problem. Think about the call to work together to renovate the site where Christ's cross and the resurrected empty tomb is. You talk about a tough work to make matters worse. There's not a single denomination or a single church that possesses the church or the the property. There's a joint arrangement between many different denominations, many different religious traditions. The Roman Catholics have access, the Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Orthodox, the Syrian Orthodox. Just about any Orthodox church in the Eastern world has representatives there, and they raise money, and they raise money from kings and sultans and... and, uh, leaders all over the world, to keep the renovation going, and it's a nightmare. Just imagine trying to get an agreement on any use here in our property. (laughs) Rebecca's going to bring the the youth from Gainesville here, right? We're going to have folks, but we're going to run it by the trustees first, okay? We're going to have a mission group stay here, but we want to have the trustees check off on it. It's fair enough, right? You can't get any agreement on the Church of Holy Sepulchre. You've got 15 different groups that have to meet. And so what you get is gridlock. You get kind of a creaky old church with scaffolding everywhere, and every few years they're, they're, they're starting a new project, but they never completely finish the renovation. Kind of like church life. You never quite finish it. It's tough to get everybody to agree. It's so hard to get people to agree in the Church of Holy Sepulchre that... Um, In the 1500s, they had to put out a decree from one of the the rulers over Jerusalem at the time that no structural changes will take place anymore. (laughs) No more changes structurally. Now, they've been able to get around that. But there was this one ladder that was on the outside, the ladder that went up to the church of the Franks, the chapel of the Franks. Each part of the church has different chapels devoted to different groups and different nations, but someone objected to them moving a ladder. Can you imagine that? Moving a ladder. And the sultan or the leader of, the, of Jerusalem said, this shall be called henceforth the immovable ladder. <laughs> I thought some of my trustees in here would laugh about that just instinctively. The immovable ladder has not been moved since, since 1555. They've had to build some new ones, but there's a ladder, and I've got a picture in here somewhere. Come see me after the class, right? There's a picture of the ladder, and every few years, they have to make sure the ladder isn't stolen. You see what we're talking about? We're talking about church. Jesus is calling us to renovate our souls, ourselves, our, 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 our spirits, our communities. The call of Lent and discipleship is the call, are we there yet? Are we going to go with Christ? Not simply to redouble our efforts to build a beautiful church, and that's important. And I commend and celebrate all the hard work that goes into making sure our, our services work. And we will have extra duty in that department as we go into Holy Week, and we thank everyone who's doing it. But we sometimes get to the point where we mistake the call of Christ and the, the the call to go in the way of Lent and the go in the way of suffering and to walk in resurrection power as simply a call to move around the church programs or move around the building a little bit more or or move the immovable ladder. Every church has got a few immovable ladders, right? Do we have an immovable ladder or two? Don't touch the ladder. (laughs) Don't touch the thermostat. The immovable thermostat should be our, our one. The call to Lenten discipleship is the call to follow Christ and to go all the way to the cross, to go in the power of resurrection. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can't we go with Christ? It's not the call to do a little more church work. It's the call to look deep into our own lives. Are we walking the way of Christ? That sometimes looks like the way of sorrows. And yet we know that... God's renovation will be done. The passage of Scripture, the one who comes in the name of the Lord brings peace from heaven and glory in the highest to earth. Peace and power comes to God's people who continue to go there year after year, even when it seems like the path leads to sorrows. Look deep within us. When we think about church path, the path of how do we prepare for Easter? How do we prepare our young people? How do we prepare? Much of the work we do is preparation, untying cults, making sure lights are paid, uh, making sure Sunday schools are, are taught, making sure our security is right. We've got a lot of untying of cults, but it's so that we can go in the way of Christ and follow his way and be disciples that look deep within and that God can renovate us, not to create essentially a graveyard to the past, a cemetery to the past. That's not what the church is. It's to, it's to seize God's future, to seize God's power and God's purpose, God's path, God's peace as we go to the Easter cross and to resurrection. But if we think only in terms of the church and we look to the buildings and we look to the programs, sometimes we can be greatly discouraged. Even if we look at attendance from time to time, we can be discouraged. There was a funny story about a pastor whose bishop sent him to a church that was dying, and and the, the pastor knew it was a tough assignment, and the bishop said, go there and preach the gospel of new life. Preach Christ, preach Christ crucified, but preach new life that they may follow the way of cro- of the cross, but find new life, new power, new peace. He knew it was going to be a tough, a tough path. He got there, and sure enough, the, the congregation was dwindling. It was dwindling, and he met with the few leaders that were in attendance, and, and uh, they agreed to go knock on doors. They knocked on doors, and few came, and they put out newspaper advertisements, and No one really showed up, and they even put out social media, and still, the church was dying Sunday by Sunday. It's a tough assignment. So finally, the pastor decided it would require some, some amazing efforts, something to really wake the church up, and so he took out an advertisement in the paper saying, First Church has unfortunately passed away in our town. And we loved her. We love the old church, but we've got to give her a decent burial. We invite all the saints and citizens of our fair town to come out at 11 o'clock to First Church for a funeral service for our congregation. All whosoever will come. Lunch to be served afterwards. (laughs) You can't get them to come without lunch, right? <laughs> so the whole town just about showed up. They were curious. They'd never heard of anything, a, a decent burial for a church. And uh, the pastor preached the cross crucified in the way of the cross and the power of Jesus. And, and um, the people were cut to the heart. He had brought a casket in and placed it at the front where the altar was. Huh. Think about that. A casket. Right there where the altar is. Kind of like a funeral. And the casket was open. Have you ever been to an open casket funeral? There's a buzz about it when there's an open casket. Well, there was a buzz in the room. And at the end of his stirring sermon, he invited all the church to come down and look at the deceased in the casket. To look at the church that had died. And as they came forward... And as they looked into the casket, one by one, they slowly, sheepishly, emotionally went back to their seats, or some slipped out. The pastor had put a mirror inside the casket. And as they looked at the church that had died, they saw themselves. They saw their own reflection. What they had become had become the face of of death as well. When we think of our call to faith and discipleship as simply to keeping up the church and uh, to keep the team surviving and thriving, and we can easily look around at the signs of death that that surround our denomination, that that surround mainline Protestantism, that surround many of the churches, even of our community, even in the New Testament, Churches faded away. The churches of Revelation, the seven great churches of Asia whose lampstands were taken away. Seven churches are no longer vital churches. Churches have their time, but yet discipleship, the call of discipleship is the call that even if the church should crumble, the very stones of the earth will cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Are we there yet? Are we following that path? Regardless of what happens with buildings and programs and denominations. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Peace and power. To the people of God. If we will follow in the way of the cross. This communion table. it, It captures everything about this text. It's the preparation. Come, prepare yourself to receive the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Come. Why are you following Christ? Come. Come to this table and answer that question. Here is the path of approach, the path to the cross and to resurrection power and peace. Here's the path. Come, find your purpose and the proclamation of God's Good news is here. Come. It is the sign of death turned to new life. But as you come, come. We have a cross here. We will celebrate the death, the resurrection, and the new life of Jesus that you receive. But as you come, remember, this is a gravesite. Come. Look deep into yourself. It is a mirror, too. Just as the casket was a mirror for those who had let the way of the church falter. This altar is a mirror that reflects God's goodness, God's graciousness for you, but calls you to look deep into your heart. Where have I let the gospel die in me? Where have I become an unholy sepulchre? Where have I become a graveyard of faith? What stands between me and the cross? What stands between me and following and going all the way with Christ? As you come forward, and we will have two stations, and we will celebrate this mystery, and yet it is a mirror. It is a mirror to ask yourself, will we go the distance? Will we follow the way of Christ? And are we there yet? What do you see when you come to this table? See what Jesus saw. The love of God that would gather all of Jerusalem, that would gather all of Glen County, that would gather gather all of College Place, that would gather all of Brunswick. And some of us recognize not the moment of our visitation. Come, it is a mirror. We have paper, we have nails, we have pencil, Place what it is that's reflected in your life that you wish to give to Jesus and to go in the way of the cross. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'll invite Tab to come, Reverend Tab, and we shall celebrate what is a death. But out of the death, out of the grave, We know new life comes. And as we look into our life, we will know the new life of Christ is here. Receive it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.